My name is Daclindanine, welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode of guests on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's show is Sarah El Male. Sarah is a voice actor extraordinaire, she's appeared in everything from Call of Duty to Gone Home and Final Fantasy XV and everywhere in between and and it's it's a delightful chat um she was also the the kind of main character in a recent bbc radio 4 radio drama about game development called game over um written by the uh, the amazing emily short um i'll put a link to that in the show notes because uh, it's only i think it was broadcast on like the 29th of december or something uh, so it's only available until the end of this month so uh, do check out if you get a chance i think it's a, it's a really brilliant piece of work um, it kind of straddles this fine line between, you know, like talking about game development for people who perhaps wouldn't be aware of anything about it, whilst also, you know, not kind of simplifying it to the point where if you're familiar with it, you know, it seems cartoonish. It's it's a really good uh, good bit of work. I'd highly encourage you, you listen to it. And it's a brilliant chat with Sarah. We had uh, so much fun. And it was kind of <clears throat> because, you know, obviously she's a voice actor, so she's... She has this kind of home studio setup, and uh, it made me feel very inadequate about my own my own audio setup. Um, apologies if this kind of intro bit is a bit weird. I'm actually recording this in a hotel room in Nottingham. Um, I'm doing the Checkpoints Live episode later this afternoon, and I forgot to bring my pop shield, so there might be a little click and pop here and there. Just for the intro, though, it'll be fine afterwards. Um, really looking forward to that. I was at uh, last night. Um, at the All Your Base Festival in Nottingham, I got to see uh, a kind of live performance of uh, Dear Esther, and it was it was amazing, uh, especially for like I had never actually finished the game, so this was kind of like my first uh, experience of the full game, and it was it was really quite something, like a really special thing. Uh, certainly the most the most lavish Let's Play I, I've ever seen, uh, and a really really amazing even. And the Q and A with Jessica Curry afterwards was uh, was was quite something um she's a an exceptional figure in the the games industry um if you enjoy the show as always uh, please rate and review on itunes or tell a friend or family member or pretty much anyone you know whatever you can do to help new people discover the show share around on social media all that kind of good stuff if you really like the show there's a patreon which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints any and all donations are, are very gratefully received and go back into making the show as good as it possibly can be. Um, as always, as well, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at checkpointshow on Twitter or it's checkpointspodcast on Facebook. It's very important to have consistent branding. Okay, I need to go and uh, prep for this this chat later. I'm very much looking forward to it and also getting a chance to see uh, Masuya Matsura do a, a live set, which is so exciting. He's such a a kind of phenomenal part of my own kind of personal video game history uh, and Marioki as well obviously which is always uh, a treat I'll be back next week as always with a new episode and a new guest but until then let's get on with the show ok 
well, let's do let's let's start as we always do, Sarah, with a, with a formal introduction. So uh, first off, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, very much appreciated. If you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? I can try. I'm so you'd think this would be a very clean, snappy <laughs> intro. I have been doing it a little. Uh, I'm I, well, Sarah Elmale is me. I'm a voice actor. Um, I also sort of participate in the game space in kind of other ways. Um, I, I do judging or festival awards hosting or speaking sometimes and things like that. Um, so I'm out and about in other in other capacities as well. Um, as far as games, um, I have I came out of indies, um, did a whole bunch of indies out of New York, and then still do indies here. Um, more AAA since I've moved here. Um, games like Gone Home, um, Call of Duty. I've, I like to give those two back to back because that just gives you this, and then everything in between, really. So it's like Call of Duty, Black Ops Three, and Gone Home, and whatever else you can, you know, conceive of in between. Pyre, um, Final Fantasy Fifteen. Uh, for Honor, um, as the Viking Raider player character in For, no- for Honor. Nice. Um, what else? There's a whole do bunch like, of fun indies. In there. Do you do this all because just before we started, we were chatting about your kind of home studio and how how luxurious yeah. your your voice sounds, <laughs> over the, the connection, and you, you describe this kind of slightly ramshackle setup that you have, but clearly very effective. Is that? Do you do mm-hmm. all your professional work from there also? Um, I do a mix. I do a lot of auditioning from here. Um, I do, I've done a lot of, I mean, I think with the exception of the Wajidai Adventure Games, I've done every indie out of my home studio, um, which has had the same mic the whole time, but different spaces as I've moved apartments. Um, what else? I, I try to audition at my agency as much as possible because they have a booth director there who's fantastic. Um, sometimes it involves auditioning in person, less so here in LA than it was in New York. Um and then a lot of other, you know, certainly every AAA video game I've recorded in a studio, professional studio with a whole host of other people whose jobs I then have to take on from home if I'm doing it from like engineering and editing and all that other stuff that I can kind of do but shouldn't be doing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That must be um, quite like, I mean, I'm assuming like you're based in L.A., right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming you have a lot of uh, friends who, who work in various creative industries and some of them maybe do acting and they, they don't do voice acting at all. Like... I feel yeah. like they could be quite jealous of that. That seems kind of super kind of liberating in a sense because you can just be in your house and you can perform and you can kind of yeah. do whatever you like and nobody's watching you, you know? That's true. I mean, I, mean, I, I suppose you're supposed yeah. to be able to do that as an actor anyway, but still. It's uh, it's right. It's both. There's pros and cons to everything. So, I mean, you know, I can roll out. I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm in my jammies, you know, like and I'm I work in my jammies. It's totally fine. Oh, but here we are. We're on a podcast. It's very intimate. But yeah, that's also true of like, you know, commercial auditions. I like I've just recorded some radio imaging or whatever, you know, so whatever branding on some radio station and wherever, I don't even know where it's going to go, um, is going to have me and my PJs. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? Radio imaging? Is that yeah. like kind of, hello, welcome. You're listening to the breakfast show. Yeah, it's kind of like little inserts of things um, that then get kind of like pr- very heavily produced with a bunch of sound effects, and it's just sort of snappy branding sounds for the for the station itself. Um, Have you ever heard yourself out like, of context in with those kind of things? Like caught some local radio somewhere and be like, "Oh, hey, that's me." Um, have I heard? I haven't heard. I've heard myself on the radio. Have, haven't I heard? I've heard commercials on the radio. Yeah. So in the when you mean I've heard myself, have I heard myself in the wild? I have. Yeah. I haven't heard myself do any of this particular job I was just talking about. No, just but, because yeah. those kind of things, I'm always fascinated by those kind of um, like I'm, I'm assuming this is the case in America. I don't remember from the times I visited, but 
like stuff like train stations you know the next train at platform four yeah. is the like i always wonder about the, yeah. the woman who does that voice and how kind of awful that not awful or, or kind of you get used to it it's just it, it's such a prevalent voice that everybody knows yeah. that kind of you know it's probably just a day that she spent in a booth reading names of towns yeah, yeah. They, they did an interview i think they did the new york was it the new york times someone did a profile of the woman who does the subway in new york and she's just like this sweet lady who has like a home set up somewhere i think elsewhere on the northeast coast somewhere um and uh she's just like yeah let me just read the copy you know like whatever and and then uh everyone hears her 15 billion times a day um well let's let's talk video games then uh yeah Sarah, and if you can remember what was your your very first experience of a video game first ever experience of a video game i remember i remember doing the thing where you were tiny and pressed a you know a duck hunt gun right up to the screen um it's been established on the show now that pretty much everyone in north america was was given a nintendo entertainment system at some point in the youth i think it was a government program yeah no well well it was actually so it was my cousin's um system and we weren't allowed to have um consoles or anything when i was younger so we would rent the back when you could rent them Mm -hmm. (laughs) um we would rent them and then we'd play them until our thumbs were you know burning like hellfire and our parents were horrified and so which kind of like just it deepened the cycle because they were <laughs> yeah. like, we, you can't own these. It would be this all the time. And then you're like, oh, God, we have to play this because it's going to go away in five minutes. Um, so that was kind of our that was our routine. And and who's we then? Was that like your your Me and my brother. Family, yeah? yeah, me and my brother. So we would visit the and cousins. Were you kind of similar age. Andy, my brother is uh, three and a half years younger than me. OK, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. But so we would visit the cousins and play like mad people. And then um, and then we would rent them um when we were able and that was like that was it but uh, i then i i mean i became a pc gamer not too long after that um and played a lot of adventure games and whatever when i was just sort of probably after that phase and was that kind say. of like smuggled into the home under the guise of oh this is for studying and homework and stuff I think that's how it flew under the radar. Yeah, they just, they didn't know. I mean, later on, my parents got hit. When I was in high school, my parents got hit to how much Sims I was playing. But as long as I kept my uh, grades up, they were like, whatever. Um, so I think it took them a while to kind of catch on. And were you kind of like, clearly, like you must have been quite into it then. If you, you know, that yeah. classic thing of not having access to it, it just makes you want it even yeah. more. So like when yeah. you got the PC, did it feel... Did it feel like, oh, cool, now I can play my own games? Or were you still a bit like, oh, but it's not a console? Or did you not care that much? Um, I mean, I the, the, the computer purchase was for uh, other stuff, ostensibly. I mean, I was yeah. printing homework or whatever in that purple-green ink, whatever the heck, with the, um, <laughs> you know, with the perforated sides. Um, like writing whatever essays as a dad, whatever. Kids don't write essays. Whatever, they, whatever we were supposed to be writing. So, I mean, it was like a functional... It was. It had other purposes, um, but I was playing like Reader Rabbit and a bunch of other weird, um, old like school-related games and things. I'm trying to remember when. I mean, my my strongest memories of adventure games, like when things came into focus, and I was like, I identify with these objects as part of who I am or just how I think and yeah. what I love. Um, would have been like late '90s, mid to late '90s adventure games, LucasArts adventure games. Um, and so, like, how – I'm trying to think. I'm trying to get the timeline right because was The Sims before or after that? After that. After oh, that. yeah. So it was the mm-hmm. the first kind of adventure games, like, I guess, like Grim Fandango and stuff like that mm-hmm. were the first ones you got into. Um, I think before that would have been 
I remember Full Throttle. Um, there And there was like a couple, there was a whole bunch of LucasArts kind of compilation discs that came out too that had other games that weren't adventure games on there too. But Full Throttle, I think, earlier. And then um, and then Curse of Monkey Island um, was a huge deal to me. Still is. Um, I turned it into a radio drama in college, which is oh, amazing. illegal. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a that was a huge labor of love. I like hand exported and chopped up every single piece of like the sound of the music cues and whatever and the sound um, effects so that we could remix them in, th- in there. And then me and my friends recorded them over three hour long installations. So that, um, that, wait, wait, that, that, that's too good to just let that go by. So that the way you described that, was it kind of an adaptation in the sense that you performed it or did you literally just yeah. pull all of the audio and then edit it together? I um, no, we we performed it. So my my boyfriend at the time um, adapted it into a radio drama format. So we introduced a whole narrator character to kind of give help with setting up action and whatever. Um, and uh, and then my you know I cast all my friends. As, our guy brush was dope, by the way. Our guy brush was really good. And I love I mean I love Dominic Armato's performance. He's a king among men. Um, but our 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 guy brush is pretty damn good. Um, yeah. So I just cast all my friends, and then we we just sort of we adapted it for radio. You have to make you know you have to make adjustments when you're you switching do, yeah, formats you like do. that um yeah but then i did want to have like the great you know which is which is the part of being a student and not knowing what's appropriate and what isn't was like just using the original music and sort of ed- mixing it in and, and editing it that way um <laughs> that sounds so yeah. good though I, I would love to hear that um, it's posted somewhere it it's is not somewhere that hard to find yeah <laughs> you can hear my bad elaine and like uh who else was i in that i was a couple pirates and stuff oh that's just so good characters yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, these kind of games come up a lot on the show because I think, like, especially at the time, they they were revolutionary, not just, like, in the, the way the games were portrayed, but they were, there, like, this is something actually I never thought about until I started speaking to people on the show about it. it. was They were essentially, like, the first 3D games. They were the first kind of mm. worlds that you could explore in what felt like a very kind of real, physical way. Um, and I guess because you were talking about, you know, you weren't allowed to have a console, did you feel like... Uh, who needs a console? You've got, look at these. Yeah. This is better than everything. I did. Yeah. My earliest memories are of Nintendo, but I, I am very, I'm one of the, str- you know, exceptions um, to the general rule, which is that everyone has a deep abiding kind of relationship with Nintendo. I don't, I don't know yeah. that I actually yeah, have that sort of throbbing heart kind of heart connection <laughs> to, to, to the Nintendo as a company. Heart that's beating in yeah. Chest, yeah. Yeah, that just burns eternal for Nintendo. Um, <laughs> although, I mean, I respect, I obviously I respect and you know enjoy them, but um, their games. Have to. But That's uh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but most people like Nintendo means a lot, you know. Yeah. But so no, I would say the first thing that meant a lot would would have been those LucasArts adventure games. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think uh, you know the Chris and Monkey Island, I think, is a really special example because they're the art style there was you know beautifully animated and like and painterly and pretty and and stylish and gorgeous and i think it was like this middle moment between you know as a pixel art which is also not to say that it can't be incredibly beautiful and obviously is and and has been you know isn't like a the exploration of what it can do as an aesthetic isn't even over right we're all still messing around with it but um but just this lovely expressive um cartoon style aesthetic and then after that they you know they moved into kind of the blocky like Grim Fandango also really beautiful but the the I think they like Escape from Monkey Island lost a lot of the character that that absolutely yeah. the previous art style was able to convey and so there was this moment of understanding that um sort of abstract kind of less like th- that 3D in and of itself isn't more expressive than than you know hand-drawn or or 2D animation can be so 
that game is, I don't know. Oh, mm. it's very <laughs> good. So, so how did it's it? So good. Did, did your kind of relationship with games then just kind of continue being PC? Like you mentioned The Sims earlier, with it other kind of yeah. games that you played growing up with your brother or with friends? Like, did you have friendship groups yeah. around games? Oh, yeah. I um, Well, I was joking because my... Um, not joking. I just find it funny. Maybe I'm the only person who finds it funny. But I uh, got together with my first boyfriend ever in high school um, by watching him play EverQuest, which is maybe the funniest, worst possible like least entertaining thing to watch and bond over. Like I can't think of anything less <laughs> dynamic to like, and I love watching video games to this day. I love watching video games, but like literally watching someone like grind away on like generic rats in the, in a field to like level up <laughs> painstakingly is like maybe the most boring gaming experience you can have. Um, it's very much a kind yeah. of teenage romance thing though. I can, I can totally picture that in the kind of God. indie teen, teen comedy drama. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So there was that. Um, there was that. And then he play- He had a console. So he had a PlayStation, it must have been, or play- PS2. No, it was probably PlayStation original flavor. And we played Final Fantasy VIII, which like had a, an undue um, influence on my romantic notions as a young teen. Um, how, how so? Yeah. How so? Oh, well, you know, Renoa's kind of a manic pixie dream girl and squalls an emo little wet rag. I don't know. You know, it's like you don't want to hold on to those too hard. <laughs> I probably will. I did a um, I, a friend of mine uh, hosts a chair, Teddy Deef, who's um, an awesome indie designer. Yeah, no, he's um, been on the show a, a few episodes ago. Oh, rad. Teddy. Um, yeah, so Teddy then. Everyone knows Teddy. Everyone knows um, Teddy. Yeah, he hosts a, a great charity live stream where he does a playthrough of Final Fantasy games yeah, every yeah, he year. Yeah, talked about this. It's him and Adriel do, uh, do it together. It's incredible. Yeah, it's awesome, and it's super fun, and I've, I've been happy and, and lucky to kind of hang out with them as they do it over the years. Um, and I think for the... F- Maybe it was the second one. I don't know if I did the first one. But when they did Final Fantasy VIII, I came dressed as Squall, like just a crossplay. Oh, cool. Um, it was really... It was fun. I think I looked <laughs> pretty good, actually. Um... Yeah, so that game also has a, a little place in my heart. But yeah, so then that era of PlayStation titles, there's some stuff in there. And, we, you know, I would continue to rent consoles too. I mean, I must have played KOTOR before I owned an Xbox, I assume. I think, maybe. So, I mean, there's, that's there's other some stuff. some dedication because that's a hell of a game. So yeah, I'm trying to think how that would work. Rental. Did I fit that in a weekend? That's insane. <laughs> maybe I did own an Xbox and I'm not remembering. I thought my memory was of having it really owning an xbox and bringing it with me to college and playing jade empire so that but maybe i owned it before then i don't know maybe that was the first thing i got and played on my xbox <laughs> and is that but like yeah. i guess your your parents kind of thought then as you got older they were like well we can't stop this from happening she's clearly keen no. on this <laughs> yeah i think they must have had that epiphany and it was i mean my school wasn't we weren't supposed to have movies even or tv much less video games i mean i think it was very much a a rebellion thing why is that uh, is that like if you don't mind saying in case it's a terrible thing no it's okay no it's it's uh it's a it was a waldorf school um which is a, a school it's a type of school it's a whole philosophy of schooling okay. um by a guy named rudolf steiner from germany um and it's got a lot of ideas about how kids learn best and all and its heart is as a as a philosophy and again, I can kind of only speak to it as someone who was 
act enacted upon by it as yeah. opposed to like having been trained in it, you know, when you're a kid, like this is my impression of what this thing is. And I, I haven't read about it like since then or anything. So yeah, I'm just guessing, but that it does really care about, um, kids being engaged and sort of experiential learning and, and igniting their curiosity and giving them space to express themselves and engage with material. However, they kind of do best, um, which I love and appreciate about it. And I think it produces curious, expressive people. Um, but that sounds there like games are would all be these other for that though. Well, yes. The way you describe that, you know, like totally. That's that's all of I those things. I, it, I completely agree. I completely agree. And so, like, there's, but there's this, uh, you know, among other. I mean, there are rules about what color the classrooms should be painted. I mean, it goes very deep, and you're not supposed to play with plastic toys, etc. So, I mean, there's a lot of. Um, there's a stigma around technology altogether. I, I, you know, I don't know. And this is maybe just my school too. My yeah, school yeah, was yeah. new. Maybe other other locations do things differently. Um, but I agree. I think that uh, I always found growing up and still do that the prejudice against games as objects on the basis of digital technology or whatever other whatever else the stigma is made of. Um, I find it uh, frustrating. And I did then, and I <laughs> and I you know rebelled against it by playing whatever i could get That's my hands on so interesting though like it feels like uh, I mean, this is a terrible analogy but it's like the you're the in footloose you know they ban dancing <laughs> they don't realize that dancing is the problem the you know the solution to all their problems like did that mean yeah. growing up that i mean it wouldn't have just been you and, and your brother it would have been your whole kind of circle of school friends at least like with video games this kind of illicit like oh we can't talk about these like silently in the corner in case anyone overhears um, it's such a I mean, unique kind of way of growing up, I suppose. It Well, yeah, it is. I mean, I, you know, I had one super awesome friend from probably sixth grade on um, at Waldorf. And then the rest of the time I was mostly without friends. So, okay. um, yeah. But then and then high school was a big um was a big revelation because I could reinvent myself. I mean, my class at Waldorf was like 13 kids graduating. So, and then you're, it's the same class and the same teacher from, you know, first to eighth grade. So like, and I got there, I think in third grade. So it's kind of, it doesn't really give you a lot of wiggle room to mess around with who you are and what you want to yeah. be. And so, um, yeah. So then going to high school, um, and finding a bunch of beautiful nerd people to, to bond with, um, that then, yes, we did. We totally played, you know, we played, you know, we'd stay up late playing Vampire the Masquerade and then go to Denny's and smoke cloves and feel like <laughs> badasses, you know, and or whatever. And so um, I kind of found my people um, in high school. And then, then, yes, video games were a huge part of that. Yeah. And was there ever a period kind of where you kind of moved away from games for whatever reason? Like I often find this with people, you know, yeah. usually just before they go to university maybe or something, they'll kind of back away from it a bit. But it sounds like you were kind of just excited to be a part of it properly. I, in high school, yeah, I was. I mean, I, there have been moments. I think there were maybe pauses in in college, and honestly, even in the last couple of years, I've been. I have. I dance tango. I dance Argentine tango, and that's obsessive cool. and addictive. In the you know, we talk about addiction as a as a thing in games too. And but tango also incredibly physiologically addictive. You can get addicted to hugs. It, weirdly, I actually I, I chatted to, to Teddy about this a little bit because he was talking about <laughs> fitness. And yeah. how that, that essentially, like, it's, you, you, I think certain people have certain mindsets where you turn it into a game, like, you're min-maxing your body when you're, mm. when you're you know, yeah. always doing fitness. Same with dancing, I'm sure, because there's, it's so precise, you know, it's a, a puzzle and a kind of technique to master. 
It's um yeah, it's interesting. It's I think tango is very game like and very language. I mean, it is a language. Um, it's so imp- it's all improvised, and um, there's a framework that can actually kind of be boiled down to just stepping forward, sideways, and back, and then in different combinations with your partner. Um, but there's no set pattern, so um, every single step and movement and quality of movement and st- size of movement is kind of led and communicated between these two people. So that gives it a game-like property where you kind of understand the possibility space, which is huge. So it's like simple yeah. rule set, huge possibility it's space. Emergent gameplay, <laughs> the tango. Yeah, which is like, I think I think game designers have a huge boner for that kind of game design, you know, course, right? Yeah. So it's like very, um, very deeply expressive and, and wide open. And then, it, yeah, and then as a language, like I can go anywhere in the world, kind of, that has like a tango scene and not speak the language. You don't have to use words to ask each other to dance you just make eye contact so kind of the only word i need in that country is thank you at the end of the set and then we can just talk tango for a night and like feel you know like we've socialized and made a connection and that sounds amazing yeah it's pretty great and but literally if you hug someone for more than 20 seconds you start to release oxytocin which is the bonding hormone right so like this is why it has these addictive properties because you can become hooked on this is why people go like go through cuddle withdrawal from their partners and whatever. It's like very physiological. <laughs> so that's anyway, that's why that. no. I've dipped off games as much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, you mentioned earlier that you know you took away your your Xbox to to university mm-hmm. or to college. So yeah, th- like, did you kind of seek out other people who were interested in games, or was that just kind of your thing to kind of connect you with home, or just to you know disconnect from the world for a bit? At school, at college. Um, at college, I don't even think I had my console for the first two and a half years. I think I brought it after I came back from Japan. I studied abroad in Japan for the first semester of my junior year. And I remember having it in my house then. And then I don't know if I even had it senior year, actually. I mean, my my boyfriend at the time loved games, played games. Um, we played computer games. I played so much Sims, I think, um, my senior year when I was sort of trying to stay sane. Yeah. Um, and, and I think people in my circle also had fond memories of games more so than, than kind of hanging out and playing games together as a group as much as I did in high school. Um, so did I bring it as a connection to home? I don't know. I mean, I just always, they've always found ways of taking care. Like every now and then at key points in my life, I hit on a game that just takes care of me when I need it. And so, Um, I think it was more that than sort of a feeling of nostalgia or even social glue, um, at least in college. Um, so uh, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that you wouldn't have been considering uh, pursuing a career in video games then in, in any fashion. I am trying to track this now because I was thinking about this in advance of this podcast, like what um, the crossover uh, between professional pursuit and um, and ho- and love of the of, and hobby. Um, and I think that... Uh, I think that KOTOR was okay. So Curse of Monkey Island, I think was the first time I was struck. And it's so early. There's this like myth that video games have always had bad voiceover and they haven't. Oh, I mean, God, no. they just haven't, you know, like that's just not true. And a lot of games have kind of thought that they can get away with bad voiceover or manage to get away with bad voiceover. And that kind of is a perceived, you know, trend or whatever, but it's not true that games have, are only just now figuring out good voiceover, although it is getting better across the board, I think. So yeah, Curse of Monkey Island, I was like, oh my, this like it changed my... Like it just, it, I found my sense of humor, like this weird sort of erudite, cheeky, silly, goofy flavor kind of influenced me as a human being. And those performances are a huge part of that. Um, I, I think Dominic Armato's kind of like every man 
very natural, very, very natural performances, um, kind of presaged huge trends in voiceover across the board that were like maybe a few years later to a decade later, just like the everyman kind of sound. Yeah. Um, who's like by design, like he's supposed to not be a cool, dope, beefy hero man. And like, that's, you know, um, but that's sort of what everyone wants now. Um, and, uh, and then KOTOR I think was the first time that I realized that I, that someone had this job that was like playing and, and, you know, having a crush on Karth <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and like, you know, Bastila and like Jennifer Hale's work in that game. Like I, I was like, someone goes to work and does this. Like, that's so cool. Like, I think that was the moment when I kind of put that together and could picture the actors at work, um, and enjoying their work and having fun. Um, and were you so thinking about acting it. anyway? Like, was that something you were pursuing on your own? Um, well, I mean, Waldorf, Waldorf actually, everyone is in a play, whether they like it or not, at the end of the year, at every grade. So that was kind of always something that we were doing. And then I injured myself. I was doing ballet mostly from like three to 14. And then I got injured. And so I showed up to like my first semester of high school and like a huge leg brace and, and people like on my awesome. ride chair cool called kids, me Gimpy. Right? Yeah, I was like, awesome. I like totally had a boss entrance to high school. Oh, Jesus. I had like literally a catheter in my knee. It's like the grossest, dumbest. Anyway, whatever. Point being, I injured myself and I couldn't dance um, for the first semester at least or trimester. And then I found musical theater um, at my high school and the theater program there was amazing um, and changed my life. And my director and my choreographer there completely changed my life. Um, so I was acting then. And I think, yeah, those two things, I think those two loves kind of existed in parallel um, love of games, love of acting for a while. Um, although I had flagged that, you know, awareness that someone was doing both at the same time. Um, and then I graduated from college. I, I'd, I'd done acting. I didn't major in theater. I was an East Asian studies major. That's why I was in Japan. Um, get to go to Japan but I did though. Theater. Amazing. I did. I did get to go to Japan. I, well, I'm trying to go back. I'm trying desperately to go back this year because my host family is amazing. I still, I love them. We still talk. Um, and I want to go visit them, um, soon. Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't major, but I was doing productions and classes and, and, and I'd studied abroad in um, in Oxford for a summer, um, which is an incredible experience doing Shakespeare and, and all that other good oh, stuff. Amazing. Um, oh, that was, that was probably the most rigorous and kind of athletic I've felt as an actor, just working that hard all day with other incredibly talented people and with the most incredible teachers you can imagine. Um, Do you, like, so I'm just, I'm curious about like kind of with all these different experiences in different countries and stuff, like, did you, mm. I, I'm, I'm really interested in this, like as, as a writer, like, you know, I, I've, I've done some work in theater. I, I did a whole episode actually about a year and a half ago, just interviewing actors about the links between kind of performance and games and stuff. And mm -hmm. I found it was, it was still quite rare for, for actors to play video games, which I found quite interesting. Like, did you feel that your interest in your, or your burgeoning interest in, in video game acting and video game sort of voice work was, mm. was very much the outlier? Like, or did you, was everybody into it? Like, it just seems like quite a rare thing, which I'm always surprised by. I think it is, uh, sort of. I mean, I, one of my dearest friends in college, um, is an actor and I was just texting him. We just went to see theater with another friend of ours in here in LA last night. Um, and he's loved games forever. So he's, you know, and we, and then I cast him, I got him or I didn't cast him, but I referred him, yeah. um, to Dave Gilbert. So he was in a, he and I were in, advent, in an adventure game called resonance together. Um, so he's done some game voice acting now too. Um, so there are, and I have other theater friends in New York that are also, we, we did shows for the brick. Uh, there's a, a, um, 
an indie theater in Brooklyn called The Brick that has a, a games themed theater festival every year called Gameplay. Um, so we did stuff for them. Yeah. So I mean, it's a strain. There's a strain among actors, especially like the the nerdy the nerdy folk. Um, I'm just imagining you Oxford, you know, you know the, this very sort of serious university with a bunch oh, yeah. of serious Shakespearean actors. We're like, okay, so we're yeah. going to go and play oh, yeah, like no. the College of you know. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, there were. Well, I was actually there the same summer as Emily Rose, who's now. I mean, who's Elena. And Uncharted. I mean, oh, so no she, yeah. So I mean, she wouldn't remember me, but um, but I remember her being awesome. Um, she was used in a couple of demos that were amazing and you know life changing about interpreting Shakespeare. But anyway, so that's why I remember her. But um, yeah, I think that you know I bet that you scratch the surface of one in five actors, and some of them are like, oh yeah, I play video games. Maybe they used to. Maybe they don't play anymore. Or maybe they're aware, you know, because interactive theater is so huge and important now that they are have been made aware by their creators, their collaborators or whatever of the overlaps in the, you know, um, in interactive theater and game design, um, because those things yeah. are knitting together ever closer. Um, so I think it's it'd be hard for them to, uh, you know, avoid games altogether or refute the relevance of them to their own work. But I am really excited about this overlap specifically and or just or just, you know, situating games against and with and inside and, you know, across from other media, I think is really where like that's where I get excited. I mean, there are there are some people who are very um, driven by the idea of distinguishing games as their own native um, separate kind of like authentically unique kind of self. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of where they find the most find their passion i i tend to find that what interests me is the bleeding edges of things into other things and kind of what they can take from each other yeah so i mean this please tangent away i mean Um, one of the things actually when i mentioned i did this sort of episode speaking to actors and one of the things and this is a a really kind of potentially quite a kind of banal question but how how, um how can i phrase this like do you think there's a link between kind of a a role-playing game like particularly a kind of a a world of warcraft or something and and acting like do you Mm -hmm. Do you play them in a different way, do you think, because of your kind of um, kind of uh, acting, what's the word, instincts, I suppose? I think I think that I get more as an actor out of role play than I bring as an actor to role play. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's, That's really interesting. <laughs> That's what I think. Because I, I was just talking about this. Like, I, I'm playing D&D for the first time. I, I played vampire when I was in high school. Again, right? Vampire and then Denny's. But um we, uh, but when it, since moving to LA, I've, I've, I have a campaign going, um, with Sam Roberts actually is my, who at USC is my, is my, um, DM. Um, and I, and, and someone else in our group was just like, Sarah never does voices. Like, that's so weird. Like I would expect her to be doing accents and all kind of crazy, whatever, and like put on stuff. And I kind of don't do, especially if I'm in a crew of other non-actors that like, I feel like it might make people feel kind of less synchronized if I'm off doing like really heightened whatever. And they're just like, ah, that's not in my wheelhouse. Um, but also just instinct instinctually, like, or instinctively, I, I find that I get more out of the experience of being someone else without performing someone else. than I do adding layers of performance onto that you know, for fun and for skill and for practice, even though I need to, like, honestly, I need to be using my accents all the time, way more being a jerk and like just throwing accents into conversations. If I don't want to lose them, it's a muscle. Like I need to actually find people <laughs> that I feel safe goofing off in different accents with. So that's actually, I need, could afford to err a little bit on that side. If you ever you want to throw but, in um, any kind of funny accent, like please, oh please feel God. free. Oh no. No, no like, I'm not, I'm not putting you on so the spot. That, that, weird. No. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I mean, I do, you know, noises, Sarah. 
Oh, Jesus. But uh, yeah, no, so I, so I don't, I do less of that. And I really just enjoy thinking like someone else, being someone else, making decisions as someone else, building relationships as someone else without those added layers of like, of artificiality for, and not that that's artificial. I mean, you can certainly when you're acting, it's not artificial. It's something yeah. that, but not worrying about that as much. Um, that for a third party, that's what I think is incredibly beautiful, powerful about role play is the, um, and you know, sort of dis distinction between like, for example, Nordic LARP and interactive theater is there's this equal buy-in from all parties. You're not, you're not indicating to a third party who doesn't have the same kind of level of vulnerability and stake and participation in the experience. It's just about the content of what you're communicating to each other and the decisions you're making together. Uh, I find that um, that deepening that comfort into that space, it makes my acting more, well, if it does anything, it would make my acting more authentic and grounded and kind of believable. Um, so I find that I take more away from role play than I bring to it as an actor. Fascinating answer. Um, I'm going to take a brief aside, Sarah, for some uh, relatively quick fire questions. Is that cool? Oh, sure. Cool. Uh, okay, so, Sarah, if you have to play uh, a game with death for your own mortal soul, what game are you best at? Oh, where the stake is I die? The stake is your <laughs> own mortal soul. You're already dead. You're meeting with death at this point. This is like Seven oh, Seal, Bill and Ted's Bogus oh, Journey damnation. style. Stake is damnation. What am I best at, game-wise? Yeah, what would you play? Oh, God. Death says choose a game. What do you play? Holy snacks. I'm out of practice. There was a time in my life when I might have been insane and suggested super hexagon which is insane Ooh. that's an insane answer that's i would i would be immediately i would you know that's a terrible answer uh, or last of us there was a time i was really good at last of us i beat last of us on survivor i got pretty good at it that's not like a dynamic sort of like i mean that's like a linear game that i could but i learned the twists and turns of but um but i did get pretty it, good at, at least it. you'll enjoy the last few hours it'll end in a bit yeah. of a bleak way but it's gonna end in a bleak way anyway it's true. Um, are you, uh, or have you ever been a, a particularly competitive games player? Have you ever been locked in a high score battle? No. No. <laughs> I'm not a competitive player at all. I like cooperative games a lot. Um, but yeah, I've never been a, I don't, I still don't really enjoy competition per se. Or maybe I take it to heart. Like people can tell they're like, but you're invested in this. I'm like, oh, it hurts me. I'm here <laughs> for it. I, like I'm invested now, but it's causing me pain, <laughs> you know? Um yeah, so I'm not a competitive player. That's absolutely really. fine. Um, if hmm. you are, I, I, I feel like I probably already know the answer to this, but if you are prone to such things, um, what is your worst rage quit? Oh, boy. Probably something in Meat Boy. I mean, that's like, a, yeah, probably something in Super Meat Boy. I probably just like banged my head against some some level or other for way too long and threw my controller. That would be my guess. Uh, um, okay. Uh, is there a game that's kind of consumed your life to the point where you've had to just uninstall it like this is becoming a problem oh all the time i mean i i, I think i i made a call like I, I hopped in on destiny for friends to, to hang out with friends but, it, but but prior to that i had built a kind of a rule of um of games that have it was trying to stick to games that have endings because i will dive you know even games that have endings i'll play over and over like and thoroughly i mean i put 400 hours into dragon age inquisition so like I'll I'll go deep on even games that have <laughs> finished endings. And they're like, put it down. The game is telling me to put it down and not turn it back on. And I'm like, no, wait, one more time. I want to find a new ending. Burr, burr, burr. So, um, <laughs> so that's kind of my general rule. I mean, I'm sure that I must have had to do that with EverQuest or, yeah, any game that has like 
ongoing that doesn't have like a natural when narrative. When you're younger, though, that's fine. You know, you, you've got mm-hmm. the time. I think I think a lot of this is kind of it's the like I get it as well. It's the kind of the, the freelancers sort of anxiety. Like I could be working there. I could be doing something. I could be following up on an email. I could be writing. I could be et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So you just... I actually find that. Um... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Carry on. I was going to say that I actually sometimes am most productive when I start up a game and then be like, oh, I could just finish an email and then it'll feel so much better to play. And then I wind up being productive for an hour with the game running in the background. Exactly the same thing. (laughs) It's when when I buy a new game, that's because that's like I've I've made an investment now. I've bought a new game. Like, right, well, Mm -hmm. I need to to do some work before I play this because otherwise I I don't deserve it. I've spent real Mm -hmm. money on this and then I just don't play it. It just stays bored. (laughs) The the buying of it is enough. Okay, now I work to pay that off. I like it. I have to, I feel like I do this double like reverse psychology thing of cheating on work by booting up the game and then cheating on the game by doing work. And like, I just can't just sit, sit down and do one or the other thing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's a very recognizable thing. Um, <laughs> is there a, a game that you go to uh, for, for comfort, like a, a chicken soup game, like a warm blanket game? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I haven't picked up Inquisition since I put it down after 400 hours, but there was a time that when I was playing it, it was my chicken soup game. I mean, I was moving. I had just broken up or been broken up with by my boyfriend of 10 years, almost 10 years. And I was moving across the country to L.A. And I literally like pu- pulled it out of there was this moment when I was driving across the country. I think it was Kansas, Arkansas. Oh, God, I don't know. But it's somewhere in the middle. Hmm, okay. Sorry, everyone. Midwest. Um, but uh, and it had just turned from like sleet to snow and everyone was panicking and filling up the motels. And I like I, it was insane. I mean, just huge ice comets hitting my windshield. And I um, and I was just in this awful, scary transition thing of driving across of like life transition and driving by myself in this crazy unknown place. And I found an Airbnb and I pulled the Campari out of my trunk along with my PlayStation and I played Dragon Age and it took care of me. And it, but that was the story of that entire few months was like just Dragon Age taking care of me when I was just in this crazy, griefy, but excited transition. Um, that sounds, so I, I mean, weirdly, that sounds really good. Like that just sounds really, especially that that's such a romantic thing of like the snowstorm was like, I'm just going to stay here mm-hmm. and I'm going to play video games until things are better. Yeah, like I have warmth, I have shelter, I have Dragon exactly, Age. Exactly. Yeah. What else could I need? I'm fine. I have booze. Like we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, everything was really harrowing. Like, like my you know total fight or flight. Like scared for my safety five, ten, twenty minutes ago. But now everything is fine, and I have digital friends. <laughs> oh man, that's I think I also good. actually did Skype into. I FaceTimed into a, a, an, an audio, a game audio meetup um, at GDC at the same time. So I had like my my glass of whatever in the game going and I Skyped into GDC. That was the one GDC I missed, I think, since 2011. Oh, man, that's so good. Yeah. Um, so, so so when did this kind of transition happen then into games? Like when mm. when did you start looking? How did you start looking? And what was your, your kind of break? Ooh. Oh, I don't know. if I Have I broken yet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I have. Um uh, I, well, so I loved games and I loved acting and I knew that people had that job. I took a summer off from acting altogether to see if I needed it because it's a, a very inadvisable career. And so I tested to see if I could live without it for a summer. Oh, that's and interesting. Then, yeah. I was like, that's I want to have to. Cool. Yeah. Like I really want to have to do, have to have to do this if I'm going to do it. Cause otherwise it's not going to be good. So, um, I did that. I was sad. I moved to New York 
Um, and I kind of started exploring voiceover from when I got there um, in a sort of more general way. I mean, I was taking classes. I got demos. I worked my way up to, you know, um, getting I focused on commercials as a way of making theoretically as a space that would pay for that would pay better so that games could just be kind of for love. Um, and so I was doing that in one kind of parallel track and then not really sure how to crack the game space. Then I went to um, PAX because I didn't know anything. I did, like I was reading GameSpot and going to PAX because I just didn't know anything else about what was happening in terms of So did of you not know discussion. anyone else that was kind of into games as well? Like you, there was no kind of concurrent people that would... Yeah, mm. just in any sense, like not even professionally, just people who were interested in getting into games in another way like programmers or artists or musicians Mm -mm. or something not at no not in new york um i yeah new york doesn't have um doesn't have games acting i mean rockstar hires theater people there Um, i don't mean acting i just mean in general like just in any any discipline to do with games i didn't come with i didn't like no one else from my school like i kind of came with a built-in friend network from school a lot of people left wesleyan and went to new york but none of those people wanted to be in um games i mean basically the roundabout thing is that i went to PAX first. I met Rich LaMarchand in a hotel lobby. Oh, Rich has um, also been on the show. He's terrific. He's the best. He's amazing. And the most gracious, warm, like the best, kindest, like the the most ideal human being to like accost inappropriately in a hotel lobby and just be like, hi, you have a speaker badge. (laughs) Like, (laughs) please tell me if what you do. Um, And that's when he, um, he told me that he was on Uncharted and I went home. I didn't have a PlayStation, I guess it must have been three at the time. Three? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, it must have been three, yeah. Um, yeah, and so I watched all of Drake's Fortune on YouTube, just like a whole playthrough, and I was like, oh, wow, like this is collaborative acting, this is acting on a high level, a playful level, um, that I wasn't even kind of aware of games um, kind of being into, dipping into yet. And that was when I was like, I need to double, triple down, I need to, like, I have my day jobs or whatever, but I need to start showing up to conferences and, and applying myself in a less sort of general voiceover way. I, I need to, like, find, I need to fight my way into this space because yeah. it, it, I, you know, because it, it would, it seemed at the time that it would, like, reward that degree of commitment, so, um, as a medium. So that's when I made that shift, and then so after PAX, I, like, followed everyone Rich followed on Twitter and just, like, discovered Baby Castles and the whole DIY and, like, academic and indie scene in New York. And that's when I started to meet other – I met Dave Gilbert, who does – you know, who's at Wajidai, who does adventure games at a Baby Castles event. Um, I met Lee Alexander at a Baby Castles event. Um, so I – yeah, so that's when I started to make other per- personal and professional connections in the game space and yeah. sort of, like, find a way into then marketing myself as kind of mostly an indie voice actor – um, because what you find is when you sh- show up now that I knew what GDC was, I came to GDC. Um, but I, it's hard to find, there are some voice actors there and I love them for that. Um, but not a lot of, not a ton of voice casting there. Um, mostly other, so my, my networks now became more filled with developers than with actors or casting people. Um, and when you are interfacing with directly directly with developers, then what you get cast in are indies because they're in charge of casting. Of course, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of how that transitioned was over time, just kind of meeting more people in that space, and then eventually realizing that I'd waited too long in New York City, where there wasn't AAA voiceover happening, um, and moving to LA and and being you know having representation here that's really great about games and and sort of being part of the more traditional casting pipeline for bigger bigger stuff it's, it's really interesting like, I, I wonder I'm, I'm sure you're much more acutely aware of this than i am but it seems to be you know with, with a, a, as consoles get better definitely ps3 seems to be when it really started shifting that there are like the world of, of video game acting has just been growing mm. exponentially maybe for the past decade but like 
it still feels relatively small, if you know what I mean. I'm sure it isn't because as a I community think, of people, as a community of people, yeah. Because there's, I mean, there's certainly very few kind of marquee names, I suppose. Yeah. Like probably just like a handful or so. Um, yeah. But considering like that, pretty much every game is voice acted completely regardless mm. of the genre of it you know i feel like there's probably tons of people maybe i'm wrong about this i don't know it just seems to be like a huge community that's kind of come out of nowhere i feel like there must be a lot of people that come to it that don't really know what they're doing you know and they're just what, what they do, people... like like crusty the client kind of reading the the, the crusty the client <laughs> toy lines you know i think a lot of i think historically a lot of um game voice actors have kind of fallen into it sideways as a part of doing animation and just sort of being sent out by their agents for stuff in general. And they're like, oh, what's this? And then they have an aptitude for it. And then they're like, cool. All right. Um, I do think that's changing. I mean, you know, you have gamer, famously gamer voice actors. I mean, Troy Baker plays games and Laura Bailey plays games. And um, there is, I think, probably a generation coming up of people who do play games and kind of you know I mean, so there's that, more I guess that. that's what I was kind of stretching at was that you seem to be kind of maybe one of the first generation that would have kind of grown up with games to the point where when you're reaching a stage where you're looking to to find work as an actor like games doesn't seem like right. a weird thing to you it's like of course I'll do games yeah. like because that's they're amazing and you can do yeah, great stuff there you know yeah I think there's only a there's only a handful of other people that I've met that are like, I am an actor and I want to focus in games specifically on purpose. <laughs> I mean, I think that's changing. But, oh, um, yeah. but yeah. I, I'm sure you've seen that and you, you were saying you were kind of working as kind of a facilitator to get kind of younger people involved and kind of bleeding the edges between the two. I'm sure now it's not anywhere near as much of an outlier as it, it was yeah. even like five yeah. or six years ago, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And all my, I mean, it was, like, the more I talk to theater friends, the more I realize that there are... Um, that they are either playing games now or have the whole time. And, and people just used to kind of compartmentalize. I mean, all my other, you know, the same theater friend I was talking to you about, who actor who, you know, I've done some games with now. Like, it was just a hobby that was the thing that they liked on the side, but it wasn't something that they saw as, as being central to their craft as an actor um, or a professional space that they wanted to dive into. So, um, but I think that is, it's less this sort of like offshoot of an experience that you have as a human being and more integrated into the other kinds of work that you are doing or want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and do you like, how does it feel to play uh, games that you, you voice in? Like, do you do mm. that? Do you find that is kind of distracting? Do you enjoy it? Do you, or, or, or do you kind of not do that? Um, no, I play them. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if I've gotten very far in all of them, but, um, I how do I feel when I play a game? I mean, it's fair. It's also it's fairly rare that my game my voice is such a heavy presence that I that it's like a constant reckoning. <laughs> um, I think I mean for honor, I guess I I'm kind of all over that section of the game. Um, I that tickles me. I think probably the more different the voice is from how I speak in life, the the sort of more novel and ticklish it feels and less kind of self-conscious maybe. I mean, I'm always listening with a critical. My critical ear doesn't turn off. So I'll hear things that I wish I'd done differently. Um, yeah. Over the years, it's become less existentially horrifying to confront that. Like I'll now I'll hear things and I'm like, eh, I wish I'd done that differently. And, and it doesn't necessarily send me into a spiral of shame and despair. Um, <laughs> so there's that. I mean, um, do, do you yeah, get that- I think mostly it's that. Do you, do you get that same feeling. thing though with um, like a lot of um, developers certainly that I've spoken to, I've spoken to on the show. Like when they start making their own games, they they can't help 
but kind of deconstruct everybody else's games like do you find you do that with with performances i think i've been doing that it sounds really not weird. necessarily in a, no, not, not in a mean or critical way just in yeah. a, you, know, you can't help but notice the kind of craft behind it if you know what i mean yes no i mean i've been analyzing i think i've been analyzing games performance forever i think you know what feels authentic what makes someone better better at it than some than like than you know above their peers i mean i've been probably a student of jennifer hale's work you know for, for as long as i can remember um and what makes her so great so um yeah but i'll notice like oh like this person is more comfortable with efforts like those that sounds really embodied and in the space or um yeah i mean i can't not analyze for what makes something good or what what maybe takes me out um yeah that just instinctively happens and has always happened i think but the one of the things i'm quite curious about is um because of the way the technology works like have you ever has there ever been a, a game that you've noticed that has perhaps really exceptional voice work with just the terrible animation or terrible art <laughs> maybe that's i'm putting you on the spot there you can't really necessarily say that yeah but, but you know what i mean like have you found that you know you're like oh that is such a good performance that it's just completely undercut by you know maybe a weird glitch or something like i always think of assassin's creed when i think of that mm. there are um yeah, oftentimes I'll be like, why didn't the director tell them? Why did like they they lacked? So the main thing is like they lacked information. They lacked necessary information about like these two people don't sound like they're in the same fight or in the same room. Or this person doesn't understand how close. No one told them how close they were going to be to their scene partner. Or like just like so it, often it comes down to stuff like that. Is like you know because you're just in a black box and you're just making everything up. So if with lack of specificity, you're just kind of shooting from the hip. And the gift of a of a game voice actor is that they'll do that without any inhibition whatsoever. They'll just be like, sure, <laughs> best guess, blah, you know, <laughs> um, without thinking about it um, too hard. So, um, so oftentimes I'll hear something where I'm like, they, the director, someone needed to tell them something they didn't know it happens a lot. Um, or sometimes like things firing, like, you know, if there's a frustration, I remember there's a game I'm in, I won't call out which one where they just reused the same laugh for like three or four times in the same conversation. And I was like, that's bananas. Like that sounds so bad and weird. Um, or things fire late, you know, I mean, it was just got into a thread about this on Twitter and it seemed like there was kind of a mixed answer on whether this is really difficult to pull off or not of like timing of just like comic timing of dialogue firing in a way that sounds natural. Um, and I was, I've just been, I've been playing, I'm very, very, very late to the game and I apologize for this, but I'm, I'm just now finishing, um, uh, night in the woods and night in the woods has maybe the best comic timing of any game I've ever played. And I mean, I've, you know, um, played a lot of funny games. Um, but the, those pauses, um, and just the way the timing of the, it must just be animated, scripted, you know, very, um, yeah, module yeah. modular. Um, so the, to, in a way to control it is my assumption, but, um, but those just the, the captions fire in hilarious ways and it's kind of thrilling. And you're like, God, when will we be able to do that with voiceover. I mean, you can do that when you record full scenes together in performance capture, yeah. um, or in or in uh, not not full performance capture, but when you have people in the room and you're recording their voices. So, yeah, that happens a lot, I guess. That's that's um, super interesting, and also you've you've reminded me that I forgot to ask one of the quick fire questions, but you've also answered oh, it beautifully. Which I don't was, answer quick fire. That's my problem. No, that's no, no, no. It, it's I, I usually answer them in a bunch, and I realized I as you were mentioning that, like, oh, I forgot to ask that question, which is what yeah, games have shoot. really made you laugh? But you've just they perfectly uh, said yeah. it, which is Night in the Woods, and also yeah, answered like Chris Monkey Allen made me find, made me laugh. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
the reason I ask that question generally, though, is because I, I find it's quite difficult to find uh, like funny mm. games. And one of the reasons is for exactly the reason you just explained why Night of the Woods is good is the, is, is the timing of it. That's yeah. what games yep. is bad at, but that clearly yep. does that very well. Yeah, timing is that's what they say about comedy. Timing is everything, and yeah, and games are figuring that out, I guess. And um, uh, yeah. are there any other games, kind of, of, of in recent memory, kind of bringing this up to date, that you've played that have like had a particular impact on you for whatever reason? Like, not necessarily because the voice performance was good, but just because yeah. of the the way the game made you feel for whatever reason. Well, you, it's funny because you mentioned bad news, um, but I, I played um, a Mortician's Tale for um for igf and and, yeah and um that that really stayed with me um i think it's amazing and it's you know it's it's the gameplay is pretty simple and it it stops before it gets really truly repetitive but it's you know kind of the same ritual of you know what the 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 magic is making it feel like a genuine ritual and inspiring a sense of respect and thoughtfulness um in preparing these bodies so I don't know, just to, to, so a mortician's tale, it's in the name, your job is as a mortician. Um, but just the way that it raises death as a subject um, of conversation with yourself, um, with your friends, um, in a way that's respectful and thoughtful and and sensitive, um, and just, and, and a subject that we don't casually or openly discuss as much in this particular culture, in, in, in America anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, that really stayed with me. I mean, I I have I think the only corpse I've like spent time with <laughs> is my mom. Um and like I thought a lot about whether to go into the room or not. I mean, they said that they'd prepared her in this other room and like we didn't yeah. have to go in or but we you know, we could and I I thought I was like if I don't do this, I'll wonder forever what this is what this what she was like. And so yeah, I mean, going in and sort of being with her and what was different and what was the same, you know, I mean, her, it's amazing. And this is the game brings this up and prepares you for this. I mean, that's what's so beautiful about it is putting it in front of people who haven't had this experience. Now you have a framework for this. Should you have this happen to you? And death, frankly, obviously happens to everyone. So, um, so the fact, you know, her eyes, like features look different and that's, you know, they prop them up in order to kind of restore some of it. But her skin was while being really, really cold was still her skin and super soft. So just like having an awareness of bodies and their relationship to how we make this transition, mark this transition with a human being that you care about. Uh, yeah, that game, I'm getting worked up just thinking about it, but that game does it. Yeah. It's, I think I've said what yeah, I know you've utterly yeah. sold me on the mortician's tale that's that's it's amazing really good and it's and it also includes these other ways that people are approaching death other ways of being buried other you know ways of framing conversations with each other and and how to approach it you know it's just yeah it's good, it's good and game. it's such like and i short. mean this is this is the, the the blessing and the curse of modern video games is there's just so much amazing stuff that yeah. things yep. that, like that completely passed me by i'm sure i probably heard about it at the time and then was like oh, okay and then a million other games probably came out. Um, yeah. But also it means that, you know, there can be a, a kind of a game about playing as a mortician and exploring all mm-hmm. those and it'd be brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the kind of diversity of experience that games are able to offer, it's uh, yep. it's incredible. It's amazing. It and is amazing. It's really hard yeah. to mm-hmm. find. <laughs> like someone needs to figure out a yeah. way of, of kind of organizing everything. Or maybe not. Maybe that's fine. Maybe it's fine that there's just lots of stuff and you catch what you catch it's a big stream of brilliant things 
It's a, I mean, it's definitely what's the puzzle that's facing everyone, developers certainly, of how to you know, cut through and reach people with this saturation of incredible games or, um, you know, certainly a billion games doing a billion interesting different things. Um, so yeah, it is, it has ups and downs in terms of trying to find things, but also just a blessing of abundance. Um, yeah. I don't know if anyone's cracked it, solved it, but, um, I don't think but so. I feel lucky. Yeah. I, I just As a player, I feel lucky. The, the episode of the show that just came out today is with, uh, a Canadian guy called Devine Lulin-Vega. And we basically mm. decided at the end of that episode that um, everyone should just make things and be on universal <laughs> basic income and that's it. That's the only way you'll solve mm, it. There you go. Is you yeah. don't need, nobody needs to sell anything to anyone and the act of making things to other people is, is reward enough in itself. Yeah. Um, it's hard to sell though. It's a tough sell. <laughs> it in, is. In and I mean, in my, in my, right. And then in my job, I don't get to enjoy that experience kind of firsthand in a way that a lot of other, at least acting jobs do, or even other developer, other parts of development do with each other. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not in the studio with everybody. I'm kind of isolated. So, um, if I could change anything about voice game voiceover, it'd be more of that. I mean, people, people are doing that. People are improving are making those processes more yeah. ensemble, right? I'm specifically speaking like recording ensemble with other actors. I don't get to record with other actors most of the time. And that, um, so that experience of collaboration is much more abstract for me. So like, you know, being in games is a joy because I love games as objects. And then the the technical, the process of it can be very, very technical and kind of removed from that joyfulness sometimes. Um, and not through anyone's fault, just by the nature of scheduling and recording yeah, absolutely. solo by myself. Have you ever had the um, chance to do so. that in, in any fashion, though, like work with somebody in a kind of video game context? In a game context, I've done, um, as of the last year, some more performance capture. And that has involved other people. I've done maybe one indie at Masquerada, had ensemble recording. What else had ensemble recording? I mean, it's super rare. It's just so rare. Um, but yeah, but performance capture has been the, been maybe the most recent and, and kind of extreme and happy kind of version of that, getting to act with other people. That sounds so fun. Um, uh, like, it's so nice. It's like how ha other acting works. <laughs> but have you ever thought, like, given given these kind of constraints, like, have, has, have you ever considered kind of um, making your own games or, or being more kind of hands-on with the, the type of projects you're working with, like maybe making a game from like a performance standpoint first, you know? Um, I am, I'm working on something now that I won't jinx or break that um, is sort of actor-driven. Um, I just think that's exciting. a really unique perspective mm -hmm. and an interesting way to mm -hmm. take it, you know? Well, thanks. Gosh. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's funny. I'm a, this is a, everyone says this, like I'm more of a soundboarder. I, I care very much. I mean, and, you know, and I think holistically about games as objects, as, as, as experiences. I don't just, I, it's not that I only have a mind for my own craft, although I don't have it and I would never claim expertise in anything, but my yeah. own craft but um but i mean judging audio for igf has put me in a space of appreciating and delving into investigating is with like you know with all of my brain power as much as my brain power as possible like the entire audio palette so um which is an amazing experience i love that experience i'm so honored that they let me do that because just sort of talking about game audio in a much broader sense with other intelligent incredibly talented sound designer people is amazing so um, I don't know, but I, but if that were going to be anything, it would probably be a producer, soundboarder, someone that you bounce ideas off of. I, I've never had like a game idea. I've had one game idea that I've ever wanted to make, and I will never make it. <laughs> probably. I, I need to ask what that is now. Like I have to ask what that is now. I the other thing is I say. kind of 
no, it's okay. And someone can take it and I don't care as long as I get it right. But, um, the I, resonance kind of did it actually. And that was that just making a Nabokov, like Vladimir Nabokov style game, because the way that you read a Nabokov novel, like Lolita or something, right. Or any of his amazing books is to kind of collect motifs as inventory. I mean, you collect these, you, the way that you kind of decode, not just the meaning of the book, but kind of what's happening in the book in a lot of cases, like just to get your hands around plot, you kind of have to collect the appearances of various, you know, patterns of objects and imagery and sort of use that like a legend or a decoder ring to kind of track what they refer to, what they mean, what they indicate and kind of where they present and kind of make sense of that in order to get at the deeper levels of the novel. Um, and that to me is very game-like, um, so having a kind of an inventory and resonance does this, it has an, a memory inventory. So it has physical objects, but it also has short term and long term memory. And that allows you to drive conversations way more independently um, and open endedly. That, that's not a word open endedly um, than having dialogue trees. You know, so like dialogue trees are great and, you know, choosing your options is fun and interactive. But like if you can just drop a, an idea into a conversation box, then suddenly you, it feels way more kind of exciting and, you know, like an epiphany when when, you know, the game responds with more clues and more information. So so that I think could be really cool having like a pale fire game where you have like. John Shade's house and then Zembla at just outside all the windows and whatever. Um, that sounds I so think good. Cool. That sounds so I think good. it would be cool. But I, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> okay. I, I think I think we've... Actually, no, no, no. Wait, no, I haven't finished yet because I wanted to talk to you about the, um, the mm. radio play that you did, which I really thoroughly oh. enjoyed. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Ooh, I, have, I have a vested of, interest ooh. in it. Like I'm, I, I've only recently like really got into radio drama, maybe over the past eighteen months or so. Um, oh wow! And there's, I've just discovered some really just amazing stuff. And yeah, this is a selfish interest in it is that I started writing it also. Um, so ah, that's I, awesome. I've just, I, I just got a commission. I've got, a, I'll have a radio four drama on later this year. We're recording it next <gasps> Congratulations. month. Congratulations! That's very awesome. Much. Yeah, no, it's super oh, very cool. cool. Oh, please keep me busted. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm very excited. So, so th therefore, I listen to to everything, and and that yeah. is particularly interesting to me because it was one of the first kind of, um, I I, I don't hate a phrase like regular stories is the wrong word for it, but kind of like you know a general pop cultural yeah. item about video game development that was so, right. um, so specific. You know, it, it didn't feel like you know talking down to an audience, but also like open enough that. If you yeah. had no idea about video game development, like it still works completely. I, I, I sent a, a, a tweet to, to Emily saying this this exact same mm. thing because it was it was just so good. Like that must have been such a thrill Thank to you. work on. Oh my god, that was a dream. I mean, I think I skipped this kind of piece of my background, but like radio drama. I think besides playing adventure games and loving the voiceover in them, radio dramas in college was we had a regular radio drama show, which is where the Curse of Monkey Island radio drama yeah. occurred, um, and that is what blew my mind and opened me to voiceover as a focus already. I mean, like I, the being able to do people that didn't look like me at all and sort of just the play of it and the kind of, you know, bottlenecking your performance through this very, very, very potent, very vulnerable, narrow kind of channel. That's it's both narrow and wide, right? It's narrow, but rich It's just your voice. Um, so that was like the thrill of when I kind of fell in love with voiceover was radio dramas and then, um, getting to do them 
I did one for the BBC a few years ago when I was still in New York for, uh, called Drone Pilots, also with Judith Kampner, um, where I was playing a gamer drone pilot. Um, and so like they were I was rewriting all the dialogue so that it sounded more authentic and whatever. Um, and so I stayed in touch with Judith. But she yeah, she came to me and asked if I had ideas for a contemporary American drama. And I like I, you know, said the game space, basically, and kind of what had been going on was in the news about it at the time, which was awful Gamergate stuff, basically. But um. But then I paired her, or, you know, suggested my favorite writers and people that I might like to work with. And she hit it off with Emily, which was a thrill. And then I, she asked me for recommendations for actors. So, I mean, I was able to recommend some actors. So I cannot imagine a more ideal, perfect dream job for me than, than this particular project. Um, a radio drama, recording ensemble, but just our voices. Just very pure, imagined space, just kind of sharing. It's really pure acting. I mean, it's really just you in a room with these other people and being as intimate as can be. And I think radio dramas is maybe the most games are very intimate and why I focus on them because of just the deep investment that you, that are required for the game to progress. It's yeah. just, it requires your attention, right. And your, and your care. Um, but I think audio only experiences, um, are so intimate and this is morbid and a total sidebar, but like I, Again, to bring up my mom. Why is my mom on my mind? But she, like, I have video of her and, and photos of her, and they capture her personality for sure. But, like, I put on a, 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 you know, a record of my mom singing, and she's like, it's like she's just around the corner. It's like she's just in the next room. Like, that is as close, I think, you can be to, like, feeling someone there with you. And radio drama does that. Radio drama puts you in conversation in these spaces with these people in ways that I think other, even having imagery maybe doesn't quite do no absolutely um, it does yeah absolutely and, and similarly yeah. for like for, for podcasts as well i mean this is one of the yeah. mm -hmm. the reasons i do i do this is because it is yep it, it creates that magic kind of room where you're the the silent third or fourth person in a room kind of listening into a, a fascinating conversation yeah. it's it's the intimacy of it that yeah that makes it so so potent i think I which, completely which, agree. and i think yeah. like there's something about particularly like podcasting and radio drama that kind of issues the usual trappings of radio that that kind of pull you out of it and just remind you that this is a radio thing you know it's, yeah. it's still relatively rare if you listen to the radio for the day to have like a focused chunk of time which is just a conversation or you know a thing yeah. happening you know without little kind of good morning welcome you're listening right. and that sort of stuff that oh the, yeah. this is the radio you know or that all that other stuff that i just recorded at the beginning of this podcast yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah i you know i mean i yes radio drama is, you know, holds a very, very special place in my heart. So that was a really, and yeah, I think to your point previously about being self-conscious or hearing myself and things like, I think that, um, most of the time, like whether people play a game I'm in or whatever, I'm like, play it. If you get around to it, I'm curious what you think, but it's all good. Everyone's busy. I get it. But like, this is so, exp I'm so exposed. It's really 45 minutes of me. And so like, I think I feel more kind of nervous or excited or kind of like anxious to hear what people think of it and kind of like I yeah I don't know it's interesting I like I, I we did it in a blitz we did recorded it in two days just super fast um and it was heaven and, and a delight and kind of like disorientingly fast and and kind of from the hip um and then immediately after that and when it came out I was like oh my god I really care what people think about this oh no um but only because it was such a personal a deeply personal project I feel like I touched it in all these different points and and in its development and um, and Judith, obviously, being the engine of of making it move and and directing us all into into what it became and whatever, um, being amazing, and Emily being amazing, and the two of them working together um, very collaboratively to to make it 
um, what it is. So anyway, thank you. That's all to say. I think thank you so much for listening and for saying nice things. It means a lot. No, it's <laughs> that idea of like, oh, no, people are going to listen to you. And like, I've just had that realization because we've now <laughs> we're, we're recording it over two days as well in, in mm-hmm. made, made Avail next month. And I'm like, oh, no, this is a real thing now. Like, yeah. this isn't just a pitch that I've sent out like hundreds yeah. of others. This is actually going to be made and broadcast and it's all from my head and that's it. really weird. I'm so and I don't excited. Know, yeah, no, it's, it's, obviously it's amazing, but there is also that idea of, oh, no, my name is going to be on that and people will hear it. Yeah. But it, yeah, people, lots of people listen to the, lots to the of afternoon people drama. Do listen to it, but lots by choice or not, they do. Yeah. Like, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a big crowd. Um, it is, yeah. And there's well, like I think only a week left or a week and a half left to listen to, to, to yeah, Game Over. Yeah, it was the end of December it came out, so it'll be yep. the end of January. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll try and get this out before then if, uh, just, oh, so, no just so people can catch it. No, 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 because mm-hmm. I, I do think it's really good. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And I want more people to listen to the radio drama, obviously. Mm, um, yeah. I, I feel like we've covered all sorts of uh, good stuff, Sarah. Is there anything that kind of <laughs> hasn't come up that you wanted to mention? Please feel free to do that now or... If you have anything to plug or if you want people to find you online, you can do all that too, if you'd like. Oh, sure. Well, I'm I'm intermittently on Twitter. Uh, I sort of go in waves of being on Twitter and then kind of taking my eye off, off of it. But I am there. <laughs> um, and so that's uh, at Selmale, S-E-L-M-A-L-E-H. Um, I have a website if you want clips and things and info. Um, what else? I mean... Where the water tastes like wine is coming out soon. I think that's the next thing up Alongside, for me. Uh, Sting on that, are you not? Yeah, Sting's in there. Sting's <laughs> I, that, in there. The most outrageous piece of casting I've ever seen in my life. It just came out of nowhere oh, yesterday. I was buddy. like, what? Yeah, mm-hmm. he's in there. The cast is amazing. Oh, it's um, incredible. Yeah, the cast is amazing. Um, I mean, like Sissy Jones and Kimberly Brooks and Dave Fenoy, Melissa Hutchinson. Um, I'm forgetting people already, but it's just kind of an, a who's who. Um, yeah, I was really happy. I mean, I've been working. Well, that's uh, that's a conversation for another time. Anyway, I was really glad that those actors got to work on that project. Is what I'm what I mean. Um, and I'm excited about it. And Yanaman is amazing, and I'm really excited for him, um, the developer. So, and Kellen, Kellen also beautiful, beautiful illustrations, beautiful artwork. No, it looks great. And it as much as like obviously I mentioned it because and, and you because I mean you mentioned it because you're in it, but then I immediately was like, oh, it's Sting is in it because like that's such a weird thing but then i i guess I, I i'm sure i'd heard of it and i hadn't really looked at it and because of that i went back and i was like this looks amazing and you mm-hmm. kind of the writers do Holy yeah snacks. so i think it is like uh it's an it's an amazing piece of stunt casting and i don't mean that in a sort of derogatory way because i'm sure he's he's grand in, in the role in it but just as a way to get eyes on it like that's yeah that seems like a perfect way to kind of right bring people like as we were talking about you know, the problems of discoverability you just you know right put a rock star in it and then everyone can discover all these other amazing people as well right i mean that right that is it doing what it is meant to do um for sure um yeah and if it does bring attention to the to the other actors and again the writers i haven't even i mean the writers are also a who's who of of writing in games um and i if i if i try to list them all i will fail um and be embarrassed because you know many of them are luminaries and friends um but if, but yes, but right. If, if if what this podcast and the and the sting casting does is direct you to to the rest of the team, um, then it will be you will be delighted by what you find there. Um, I think. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so glad that uh, you managed to to chat and and hope you yeah, you enjoyed you it. I had a really good time. So nice of you. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs>